Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Hey, friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. It's your host, Monique Farouk. I don't want to take up much of your time today, but I do just want to say that I'm thinking of you, friend, and I hope that you are staying safe. I hope that your family is well and also any other loved ones in your life. And I hope that you guys continue to do so and continue to practice social distancing wherever you are in the world. And I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in week after week, listening to the bonus episodes that I have been producing since we've been in social isolation, social distancing. I just wanted to help keep you guys encouraged and uplifted and let you know that you're not alone. Even though we are separated physically from one another, there are ways that we can continue to connect in this podcast is one way of doing so. Today I have with me Joanna Pendergrass. She is a veterinarian and freelance medical writer. She is from the U.S. in the South in Georgia, and she focuses on pet owner education and human health journalism. Joanna is passionate about providing patients and pet pet owners with the medical information they need to make informed health decisions for themselves and their pets. In her spare time, Joanna enjoys baking, exercising, and playing the viola in a local community orchestra. She and her husband have been married for seven years. Joanna will speak to us today about her journey with infertility thus far, and she is still along that journey. And I will have her information in the show notes. You just tap and go to my website and you can connect with her on Instagram and any other ways that she will provide if you're searching for more community outside of or this podcast. And I will have everything in the show notes for you to just tap and go and connect with Joanna further and follow along her journey. I do know that Joanna was anxious, uh, anxiously awaiting to come onto the podcast because she feels like she can provide a voice that speaks to the silent sufferer. And if you have been listening or have listened to a few episodes, then you know that I am all about catering to the silent sufferer. Also, just connecting through the podcast with stories like Joanna's outside of any expert medical advice that we have on the show through other guests. I like to still do the stories because I feel like the stories is what we resonate most with and that we can connect with and that we also feel less alone. And so Joanna is going to start with her story today and give us background information as well as where she is now in her journey. And so I thank you guys again for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast, where we are connecting and healing together. Thank you so much for tuning in, friend. So Joanna, just tell tell us from the beginning what you guys, you and your husband's vision was for expanding your family and when you guys knew that you wanted to have children. Well, that is very interesting because when we got married, my husband definitely wanted kids and I was 50-50 at best. So we talked a little bit about, you know, having kids, having a family during our premarital counseling, but really didn't get that deeply into it. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of became a little bit of an elephant in the room kind of topic for us for, for several years into our marriage. Um, you know, I was just starting to feel that um, I was 
feeling hesitant to step back from my career mm. to have kids since I had just, you know, finished with school and just, you know, starting to get into the work world. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to feel like I had to take a step back um, to raise kids. Mm. And, you know, also, I really didn't actually want to go through the physical changes of being pregnant. And I was terrified of childbirth. <laughs> so mm. It just like, I really, there wasn't a lot inside of me at that point that said, yes, I want to have kids. So we didn't really talk about it for, for the first couple of years in our marriage. And then we started going to marital counseling in 2016. And that's when I started to unpack, you know, more deeply those, those reasons why I, you know, was hesitant to have kids. And I just started to feel much more strongly that, you know, I don't want to have to be the one to stop working. Mm. Uh, you know, my husband you know, works in corporate America, you know, upwardly mobile. And, you know, I just felt like, well, it's, it's not fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so in 2016, I'm not actually not that long after we started premarital counseling, I had started my freelance medical medical writing business mm. and, you know, just getting that going and just coming just, you know, coming into my own as a businesswoman, you know, it was like I just got this thing started. I don't want to have to step back from that, you know, from building my business to have kids, especially when I was the one who was ambivalent about having them in the first place. So it started to become, you know, having kids started to become a wedge issue between me and my husband. And in 2017, I actually decided, you know, and I told him, I don't want kids. And that was, I would say, an important moment in our marriage, but also an uncertain moment one because we didn't know where we would be going from there but even after I said that we still continue to you know to talk about having kids in marital counseling and I think what became the the biggest part for me was that I didn't want to feel like I was going to be the one left with the burden of raising children so I wanted some assurance that he would be able to take on more of the parenting responsibilities if I felt like it was becoming too much for me. Mm. So in the spring of 2018, you know, we talked about it more still in counseling and he agreed that he would take on more of those parenting responsibilities. And once he said that, like that, that's all I needed to hear. Like that's what changed the tide for me. So it was in the spring of 2018 when we officially decided, okay, we're going to have kids. So it was a whole evolution, I guess you could say, in our marriage to get to the point where we were both on board with having kids. Wow. You know, I'm so glad we're having this conversation today. And I truly am thankful that we connected on Instagram because this is a story that I have not had a feature like on here in the Mm. six months that I've had the podcast. Mm -hmm. There's not been one woman that has come on and 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 boldly said that she was apprehensive about having children in the beginning of their her marriage or relationship with their significant other. So I think this is going to be a really important topic because there may be a man or a woman listening who may feel that way to a certain degree for whatever reasons. And maybe they haven't explored therapy the way that you have and gotten down to the root causes of why you feel the way they feel or whatever the case may be. But mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting. And so if we can, can we go a little deeper 
with sure. your, with the with the reasons why I know that you have said before because of your career, but was there anything much deeper that or a little bit deeper as far as you think you want to go or tell me or yeah. tell us? Yeah, I think, you know, I was just feeling this almost like resentment on just the whole way our society is structured. You know, it's it's structured to where it's it's the woman that bears yeah. the brunt of raising a child. And the man is, you know, is expected to go out, you know, bring home the, the bacon, be upwardly mobile in their career, you know, be the, the one who is financially providing for the family. And I just had a very strong resentment about that whole setup. Like, to me, it just, it wasn't fair. Um, I think it kind of penalized a woman, you know, who would want to go higher and higher or in, in her career, or if she, yep. you know, had her own business, you know, would she have to scale back from growing her business for the sake of raising a family? So I just, <laughs> I just felt this strong, like, it's not fair. And I do not want to, you know, co-sign on to that. So that, that struck me very deeply. Like, I do not want to be in a situation where I'm ambivalent about having kids to begin with. And if we do have them, I'm going to be the one to bear the brunt of the child, you know, raising a child while my husband, you know, goes out and essentially financially provides for the family. I didn't like those, those gender roles. Okay. You know what, that you, you brought up some really, really, really great points, which leads me to start thinking about the pressure of infertility mm-hmm. because of those societal issues that you've just mentioned and how it plays into the negative connotations behind infertility and fertility mm-hmm. treatments in general. Why there's so much education out there, but yet so little people know about it. Right. You know, and so I think that I think that also ties into what you were just speaking about as well. And why we spend thousands of dollars and sacrifice mm-hmm. our time mm-hmm. and sacrifice our bodies, male or female, to doctors. And it's nothing against doctors or the fertility field in general. But we just we strive and we work and we determine and so am, and become so ambitious towards having children. And I just think it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's a blessing and a curse to have the ability to go through infertility treatments or fertility mm-hmm. treatments in general. Right. There's a lot of positives to it, but then there's also all of these negative things. And I think that with more education, it won't be such a taboo topic either. And if we can stop allowing society to have so much control over how we feel about getting pregnant or choosing our careers as women because I resonate with that and as much as I really wanted my baby and I and I was so ambitious about having a baby I I still want I'm that kind of mom that still wants to have it all you know what I mean right right yep and do you feel like that'll kind of be your your back and forth once you have children and you guys have a little one you know, I actually, I haven't even thought that far because, you know, this, the past year and a half has just been so all-consuming with just everything that we've been through with trying to get pregnant, trying to stay pregnant, that it's actually been very difficult for me to think of, like, after pregnancy, like, once we actually have a baby at home because we've had so much 
so many obstacles, so many heartbreaks, you know, to even get to that point. And we're still not at that point that it's difficult for me to think, well, how is it actually going to be when we have a child at home? But I can say that I don't have that same hesitation. I don't have that same, you know, feeling of resentment about, you know, the societal structure. And I think it's because I know that my husband will step up if I need him to, that, you know, we won't be so bound to what society says, you know, the mom and the dad should do. Yes. Yes. That, that's, um, that's another, another great I, point. People, yeah. Parents, full-time jobs, three kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, how did raising us? And she said, you know, we just, we just made it work. Um, it wasn't about, you know, this person always does this and this person always does that. It's what do we need to do to go, you know, strict gender roles with who does what. Yeah, you know, I'm, I don't have anything to add to your statement. I'm <laughs> going to leave it as is. And okay. So can we talk about what you guys is? You said last year and a half or two years that you have actively been trying and what happened? So tell me what happened when you got your first consultation. Was it after six months? Was it after a year of you guys trying? So we had our consultation with the reproductive clinic. Let's see, that was in September of 2019. So we had been trying for about a year. And in that year, um, I had two miscarriages. I had one in December of 2018 when I was about six to seven weeks pregnant. And then I had a second miscarriage in August of 2019 when I was almost 10 weeks pregnant. So with one year, two miscarriages, you know, being over 35, we essentially, you know, checked off all the boxes for moving forward with fertility treatment. Yeah. Okay. And did you guys get a diagnosis right away or did you go to your OB? Some people go to their OBGYN first, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And do like clonic cycles and stuff. So did you guys do anything like that or did you go straight to an RE? We did not do clomid. We we essentially just went right to, um, right to an RE. Um, I actually didn't even know that, you know, taking clomid would be an option. Um, but when we went to see our fertility doctor, that first consultation appointment, she said that at this point, you essentially have two options for, for getting pregnant again, either no treatment or IVF. So we didn't even discuss you know, IUI or taking Clomid because the problem wasn't me getting pregnant because you know, I got pregnant twice. The problem was me staying pregnant, I guess. you know because the problem was me staying pregnant, it really didn't make a lot of sense for me to go through, you know, those less invasive fertility treatments to try to get pregnant. And after my second miscarriage, we had the the pregnancy tissue tested Mm -hmm. and we got the results back and we actually didn't even understand it at first. The result was uh, 50XY and we had no idea what that meant. Our doctor explained that the 50, the number of chromosomes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, normally 46, well, four pairs of the chromosomes in the embryo had an extra chromosome. 
so that's why there were 50. And then, you know, the XY meant that it was a boy. Um, so I guess the official diagnosis, or I guess test result was quadru quadruple trisomy. And with that many chromosomal abnormalities, you know, there was no way that the embryo could have been viable. So I think also because my miscarriages were due to a chromosomal abnormality, you know, going through Clomid or IUI, it wouldn't have gotten to the heart of the problem as to why I wasn't able to maintain a pregnancy. Yeah, that makes total sense when they when you put the breakdown like that as to why they weren't viable pregnancies. Right. But there's still losses, and I can only imagine how you guys were feeling in the time period of not knowing what was going on before you had all the testing and stuff and, and everything done. So where did you guys go from there? Did you take some time to breathe and, and just let it, you know, and sit with it? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not really. And I think by this point, I understood more about grief. And back in November of 2018, so not long after we started trying to get pregnant, I started working with a maternal mental health therapist. You know, at that point, you know, we were still trying and I was still having like some anxiety just about being a mother, like, you know, how would I handle the ups and downs and all the unpredictability of motherhood? So I'd actually started therapy from that angle, but, you know, going through and, you know, with the miscarriages and everything, you know, my therapist helped me understand what grief was and, you know, the, the different stages of grief and how, you know, grief ebbs and flows. It's not like you just start and finish. It kind of, you know, you can go back and forth and sideways. Um, so just understanding grief. And she also helped me understand or think of different like coping strategies, um, you know, all those self-care strategies to help me, you know, process my grief. So even though my husband, husband and I, we weren't really taking much of a break in terms of continuing to try to have a child. But during that time, I was still very focused on my self-care and making sure that even though we were still moving ahead, that I was taking care of myself, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, like all of those things to make sure that, you know, my head was still in a good place. And that's good because you guys, it sounds like you did that very early on. Mm -hmm. in in the beginning and, and uh, I think that too often you wait too long yeah and, be, and and by the time we get to a therapist or a fertility coach we're in such a deep dark hole mm -hmm. <laughs> that it's hard to it's hard to get out of it and then yeah. you're in the middle of treatment and stuff and so that's a that's commendable for you guys to have done it from the very beginning and not let it sit for too long you know and start to smell and stink and do all those things that it does so that's, that's right you know right <laughs> I'm serious it, yeah. I definitely didn't do it at all you know and I never saw a therapist and I never saw a coach it was like all of this inner healing and mm -hmm. that I had to be done and it and a lot of it didn't happen until after my son was born you know because we get on the train ride that is yeah. infertility and that is fertility treatments and then we never get off of it and we don't give right. ourselves time to breathe. And so I'm an advocate now because I've been through it. Mm -hmm. Take a break. It hurts to take a break. It really yes. does. It really hurts to take a break, but you will be much stronger and in a better place because of it. And there was a lot of things that I could have done differently. I'm not going to say I regret it, but, you know, that's why I always tell everybody, take a break, man. Don't do what I did. 
don't, don't ride that train and keep going and, and then you just crumble, you know, or you have yeah. breakdowns after your baby comes because that's what that's what happens. And I was very emotionally traumatized by the time mm-hmm. he was born and he was born early. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you have to be prepared for whatever. And there's um, postpartum depression, you know, that people don't think about. I mean, um, mm-hmm. yeah, postpartum depression after women have babies, their hormones are going crazy. That's another thing, you know, and so I think that that's commendable for you guys to really have nipped it in the bud and, and found those tools and mechanisms to go about your journey, um, you know, in the healthiest, best way possible together. And so where are you guys really now, especially before COVID? So where we are right now, we are actually going to um, be starting IVF again. So I will kind of back up a little bit. So we started our first round of IVF in December. So last December, we got through the stimulation and egg retrieval, but unfortunately, the eggs that were retrieved, because I only had three eggs that were retrieved, all three of them were immature. And because they were immature, they did not fertilize. So that was yeah, about a week before Christmas, we found, found out that my eggs did not fertilize. So that was a major, major heartbreak. Yeah. Um, major source of frustration and, and disappointment yeah. for me because like the timeline of us you know doing IVF was the same timeline just a year prior that I was going through you know finding out I was pregnant and then having the, the miscarriage and DNC so that first round of IVF was not successful and very frustrating um, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. say the least so we met with our doctor in early January, so just after the holidays, and we met with her so that she could go over in more detail what had happened with that first IVF cycle around, and she explained that even though, you know, she had started me on taking high doses of the hormones, I took lower doses for a longer period of time. And I started on Clomid, mm-hmm. and then I did about maybe 10 days of the hormone injections. Wow. Much better than mm-hmm. the 14 five of those fertilized. So we had five embryos. One of those embryos um, survived to, you know, that day five, six, the blastocyst mm-hmm. stage to be tested. So we wanted to, through the, uh, the pre-implant, you know, screening of the embryo, so that additional testing would help us know, okay, is that embryo healthy or is it not? You know, if it's not healthy, then of course, you know, it wouldn't be transferred because it would just increase my risk of having a miscarriage. Right. So um, we had that testing of the embryo done in like mid, mid to late February, and we got a result back in late February that our embryo was healthy. Me several weeks to be able to really work through that disappointment. But we had gotten so close to having the transfer and knowing that we had a healthy embryo, you know, we felt confident that the transfer would be successful and I would have a healthy pregnancy. And, you know, we just keep on, you know, on that train. And to have that just stop and not know when we could start again. I didn't like having to wait. I knew that I still needed extra time to just get back into that mindset of, okay, we're we're starting this again and, you know, going through all the the physical challenges of going through IVF and the anxiety and all those other emotions. I felt like I needed extra time to just make sure that I was in a good place before we got started again. 
and 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 so when COVID began to pop around, mm-hmm. and then we finally got the orders, has Georgia stopped clinics from servicing you guys, or is it up to you to sign a waiver? So when I uh, I sent a message to our nurse back in mid March to ask because I just started taking the injections to prepare for the transfer. So, you know, I asked her, you know, should I keep on going or, you know, what's going on? And that's when she said that that the fertility clinic would be discontinuing, you know, treatments because it was a uh, fertility treatment was considered elective. Okay. Yeah, a lot of states are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was pleasantly surprised when our doctor uh, told us a few weeks ago that they would be reopening in early May because I had just made up in my mind that like we'd be waiting until the fall because I, I didn't want to get my whole stuff that it would be early. Yeah. Um, so it, it was definitely a pleasant surprise. But, you know, as we were, you know, waiting, my husband, he had pulled up some articles, you know, that, that talked about the frustration that women felt about having to, you know, pause or cancel their their fertility treatment because, you know, in their eyes, you know, fertility treatment is not elective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, you know, yeah, I, I, I agree with that because it's like, you know, in my opinion, a woman doesn't go through IVF because she wants to. You know, it feels like a last resort option to be able to, you know, be pregnant and have a child. So, you know, that doesn't feel elective at all. Um, So, you know, I agreed with that stance. And when we were speaking with our doctor, she made an important distinction about, you know, what elective actually means. And, you Mm -hmm. know, from the hospital standpoint, it's, is it a life or death issue? Gotcha. So it's like, okay, well, fertility treatment is not life or death. So from that standpoint, okay, it's not elective. But when you're going through it and, you know, you know that this is pretty much your last shot to be able to have a child, it doesn't feel elective at all. It feels like, no, like, this is mandatory. This is not optional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like now or never. Right. It's that, anxious, right. It's, that anxiety that, that, that strikes yeah. up, you know, especially yeah. with the COVID and not knowing when all of it is going to be essentially under control. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. going to go anywhere, but it's you know, to a point where we don't have to be six feet apart from each other whenever the heck that happens, you know, so (laughs) I definitely get it. And I can't even, like, I can't imagine how it feels right now with fertility treatments on hold and not wanting to put yourself at risk, but also wanting to move forward. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky balance because the rational side of me understood, you know, why, why my transfer was postponed. And part of me, you know, was thinking, you know, I wouldn't want to be pregnant right now anyway, because of so much, because there's so little known about COVID-19 and pregnancy. Yep. So like the rational part of me understood that, but the emotional part of me was like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that's real talk right there. That's right. That's, that's real. That's, you know, <laughs> We're not going to sugarcoat it. That's exactly right. how you feel. You're like, well, I don't give a dag on. I'm going to go ahead and do this thing because we didn't right. so far. And we're not definitely not going to give up. And we definitely, you know, we still want to have a family. And mm-hmm. it's already a family, but, you know, it just expanding your family. Right. And the yeah. of yourself and your love for your partner, you know. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's it's crazy, and I just can't even imagine what it feels like. I really can't, and I don't even try to like to have to go through this summer and having to make these type of decisions on top mm-hmm. of other decisions that come on with security right. treatments and everything. Mm-hmm. So, so have you, you and your husband, been really just focusing on yourselves in your relationship during COVID? Yeah, I, I would say so. What helps me work through the disappointment of having to wait, I essentially just had to make a choice to reframe it. So, you know, for me, it it became, okay, so I can't control how long this wait is going to be, but I can use this time to really take care of myself. So I decided to start exercising more. You know, of course, with IVF, you can't do intense exercise. And before we started IVF, you know, I ran, I did yoga, I worked out with the trainer. So I pretty much had to put all of that on hold for several months. But I figured, okay, well, while we're waiting, I can go back to doing those things so that I can, you know, get physically into really good shape again, so that I can be physically, you know, prepared for the transfer and just, you know, the the demands, the, the physical demands of being pregnant. So that has helped me kind of refocus, I guess, and see this this pause as an opportunity to, you know, become more healthy, become more physically fit. And, you know, for our marriage, you know, we, we still do marital counseling. So both of us, you know, feel very strongly about still staying in counseling. Um, not so much that we have all these heavy issues that we still need to work through, but it's, it's more maintenance. And, you know, something that our therapist always emphasizes is having healthy dialogue and, you know, essentially not to shut down from each other. If there's something that is bothering us, we need to talk about it. If there's something we're excited about, you know, we need to talk about it. So we've been really focused on making sure that we, you know, essentially keep the lines of dialogue open and just talking about different things. And we've even started talking about, you know, what the baby room would look like, you know, paint colors and different furniture. So we've started, you know, talking about, you know, what life will look like Mm -hmm. once we have a child. And it's been fun to have those kinds of, of conversations, you know, just looking forward to, you know, our future as parents. Yeah, that's great. And I, I don't hear a whole lot of people doing that right now. So I really think that's great that you guys are doing that because it's bringing more positivity into your home and yes. just lightening the air a lot, yeah. you know, and daydreaming about the possibilities, you know, and mm-hmm. we do that with our careers. So I feel like it's nothing wrong with doing that when we're trying to expand families and right. creating that, that that physical manifestation of what we're trying to achieve. And I think it's a, a very effective way of staying in a in a healthy place mentally and it's not like in a way that's toxic positivity but right just the hoping of yes you know and having the faith of you know something tangible and it goes beyond just praying and just wishing you know mm-hmm. and, it, and it's and it's making it real life for you I think it's very effective too I've used it before and it it really works to help keep you in a positive mind frame no matter yes. how it comes out and just helping you deal with the expectations, you know, of it all. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's it's been fun. And it's also been, in a sense, therapeutic for me. Because for a long time, I didn't 
I didn't really allow myself to think about the future. Mm. Um, it was just, you know, being so focused on, okay, what's the next step in IVF and making sure I follow the, you know, the, the treatment schedule and the appointments. And, you know, I was just checking so many boxes and having two miscarriages mm. and the failed round of IVF, like there, I think still there's a, a really strong mental block in my head. Like I can't see myself as pregnant. Like I've tried, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to see my body as being pregnant because the times that I was pregnant, you know, my miscarriages were so early that, you know, my body hadn't really gone through a lot of physical changes. You know, that's been a very difficult uh, mental block for me, you know, not even being able to see myself as pregnant. Um, I'm just now at the point where I can see myself as a mother, but still there, the mental block was so strong in my head because of so many disappointments that I didn't even allow myself to talk about the future. So the fact that my husband and I are having these conversations now about, you know, what pink color we want the baby room to be, you know, it's a major step for me that I feel like I can really hope again and have that anticipation and excitement to be a mother that, you know, I didn't have, you know, even just a few months ago, because it's like motherhood keeps on being taken away from me. So I can't even really picture it right now. And you know what? And it's okay though. That's that's okay. You know, that's okay. I didn't, I could, I wasn't able to visualize myself pregnant either. Mm. And it's, mm-hmm. and um, even though I had dreams of having a baby that were, I took its confirmation. I never, I never, the way I looked was never a part of <laughs> what I saw in my head. You know, I just like, every time I visualized myself being a mother, it was, I wasn't pregnant. It was always mm-hmm. a physical baby in my arms or something like that. It was mm-hmm. never the pregnancy itself. And mm-hmm. so I definitely resonate with that. And yeah. I think there's probably a lot of women who will resonate with that that statement as well, and that's real talk, guys. You know, we we're gonna keep it real with you guys, and 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 give you our points of view, and join us giving you hers today. And join us. So, what made you, what made you seek out community on Instagram? After my second miscarriage, I started feeling this really strong compulsion to share my story. To really put my fertility journey out there. You know, I had talked with you know, close friends and family about it. And, you know, I was comfortable with that. You know, I didn't, you know, even through all of this, I never, you know, felt shame or guilt. Um, I didn't feel like my, my miscarriages were this like secret shame that I had to keep all to myself. Um, So I had no problem openly sharing, you know, with my friends and family about, you know, what had happened. Um, but up to that point, you know, I was on Facebook, um, but I didn't really share a lot of myself personally. I didn't want to put my, my personal story out there, but after my second miscarriage, you know, I just felt like, you know, God has put me through this and I'm still here. (laughs) I'm still standing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I need to share my story more widely. So that's what encouraged me to start my Instagram account. I think it was in September. I wanted to put my story out there mm-hmm. and know and let other women know that they're not alone 
in their fertility struggles. That was the yeah. whole impetus for me to um to start my my Instagram profile. And I feel like I found my tribe um mm-hmm. on Instagram just seeing, you know, following you and, and other women who are going through, you know, different stages um, Mm -hmm. of infertility or, you know, different fertility struggles and being so open about it and being so honest about what it's really like to struggle to have children. I feel like I've met my tribe and it encourages me to still continue to be, you know, open with sharing my story because I see all of these other women, you know, being brave and courageous and putting their stories out there. It, it, and, you know, uh, I had a page when I was going through it and it was mm-hmm. private and it was like this whole thing. Like I didn't want anybody on Facebook to know that I had it. And, <laughs> you know, it was just, I, when I tell you it was private girl, it was on lockdown. You hear me? It was private, and it, but anybody that was like a friend from Facebook or a family member that I was connected to on Facebook, because you know, you get your, your little suggestions and all that stuff like that. I saw uh-huh. girl. I just, <laughs> I was not having it. So I, I commend all of you brave, brave souls who have profiles on Instagram and they are public and you are just embracing everyone who comes your way, male or female, because me, I didn't do it. I was, I was just silent <laughs> when I didn't do it. And I don't know. Well, I do know what compelled me to start the podcast, and it's because I didn't want the silent sufferer to silently suffer, you know, right, and right. Um, and I think it's so important that we share journeys from walks of life from different yes. people, multiple, multiple, um, you know, cultural backgrounds, you know, for everybody, because mm-hmm. representation is so key when you're going yes. through something like that, like this, yes. that can be very traumatic, and, yes. um, and I thank you so much, Joanna, for being that voice to the silent sufferer today. It's a truly a pleasure, my dear. Oh, it's it's absolutely been my pleasure. I was very um, very excited. Um, you know, I just feel very passionate about putting my story out there. And I'm actually something else that happened after my second miscarriage with you know this compulsion I felt about sharing my story. I decided to write a book on my fertility journey. So I am in the process of doing that right now. Wonderful, wonderful. Keep me updated and let me know and I will have you back on and we can speak about that too. And, okay. and I just appreciate you so much for, for, for bringing your voice on today and giving hope to yourself and to others. I, I, just, I just appreciate you guys so much when you come on and, and, and let me into your world a little bit. Oh, it's it's my pleasure, and I commend you um, for starting this this podcast and giving you know us an outlet or you know a platform to be able to you know to share our story on a you know on a wider level. Thank you so much again, Joanna, and please stay safe there, you and your husband, and I'll be praying for you guys to stay well as we get through this whole pandemic. <laughs>